Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.40 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 13th of January, 2022. This is episode 525 of Bitcoin. And I've got some bad news for you. It appears that Jack Maller's strike in Argentina is indeed using the tether back end. We'll get into that and more today. But first, if you want to help me support the show... Uh, you can do that through podcasting 2.0. Just go to breathe, you know, get a breeze wallet, go get fountain app, go get, uh, let's see what else. Oh, uh, the Sphinx chat app. All of those contain a wallet that you can fill up with Satoshis and you can stream them to me to directly to my lightning node, which is about two feet away from me and has been running consistently for well over a year. Actually, I think it's coming up on two years. I'm not exactly sure. The uh, node age won't show that because I do update my node, and every time you do that, it resets how long it's been online, which is a metric that I think gives a false uh, negative uh, to the Lightning Network, but I can't do shit about that. Also, Patreon, the Bitcoin and podcast. It's actually Bitcoin and podcast, all one word. If you search for that on Patreon and you want to deliver me some filthy fiat, man, go right ahead. Uh, I just took off uh, the earnings that I have had on Patreon. Thank you very much to my patrons. I, I do appreciate that. Send it over to, yes, you guessed it, Strike, because they actually have a, you know, provide me a routing number and, I can do that uh, because they have a routing number and a, a bank account number for me. I can use Stripe, and no, I don't like using legacy fiat shit, but it did go over to Strike, and it was immediately converted 100% into Bitcoin. Um, so that I do appreciate from Jack Mallers, but I'm not so sure about this whole Ethereum back end. Anyway, five-star reviews on uh, Apple iTunes also work. And since I'm not on Twitter, if you would be so kind as to share the episodes to Twitter from whatever uh, app you're listening to, if it has such a function, that would also be most appreciated. Thank you very much. Now, the whole Ethereum thing and Jack Mallers and Strike. Let's do it. Jose Antonio Lands is going to tell us some about it from Decrypt.co. And since Decrypt is not... The best friend of Bitcoin, be aware that they may go into uh, a little bit of Bitcoin bashing. I'm not exactly sure yet. Let's find out about Strike's Bitcoin app in Argentina only supporting Tether for now. Yesterday, Jack Maller, CEO of Strike, announced his company's arrival in Argentina. The South American nation would be the second to receive support from the Bitcoin payment processor after a successful launch in El Salvador with the help of the Naib Bukele government. Quote, Today, we use the world's open monetary network Bitcoin to give hope to the people of Argentina, said Jack Mallers to his Twitter followers in a thread that explained how the use of cryptocurrencies could help Argentines protect themselves from inflation and the devaluation of their fiat currency. Quote, Argentina needs the best monetary asset and the best monetary network in human history, Bitcoin he tweeted. But it seems that for now, Argentines cannot use the best monetary asset in their strike accounts, or at least not as they would like to. For the time being, the only option available for sending and receiving money on strike is via USDT, Tether, a stablecoin, issued by Tether and pegged to the US dollar that Bitcoiners hope to dethrone one day. 
Decrypt has confirmed that users in Argentina currently cannot buy, sell, or trade Bitcoin using Strike as they can in other countries. Strike did not immediately respond to our request for comment. Yet, there is a way to receive Bitcoin via Strike in Argentina. Maller showed that users can link Strike to their Twitter accounts and receive tips through the new feature enabled by the social media platform. Yeah, that's if you haven't been kicked off of it. However, the service appears to have failed for several users in different instances, such as when verifying their identity or when the username contains non-alphanumeric characters, such as hyphens or underscores. Oh, that's great. Apart from the Twitter feature, the Strike app in Argentina for now only supports USDT on Ethereum. Let's pause and repeat. Apart from the Twitter feature, the Strike app in Argentina for now only supports USDT on Ethereum, making small transactions very costly when transacting with a third-party wallet. Transactions between two Strike users are free. USDT convertibility to Argentine pesos is currently unavailable, so the app lags far behind the features offered to its customers in the United States or El Salvador. <clears throat> Strike currently plays an essential role in the adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender in El Salvador. Strike is the most widely used wallet on the oft-discussed Bitcoin beach, and Strike developers have a leading role in the development of the official Bitcoin wallet of the government of El Salvador, the Chivo wallet. Mallers, however, doesn't plan to limit Strike to just El Salvador. The company is aiming for a much broader market. Quote, Strike will continue to launch in more countries throughout the year, with a focus on Brazil, Colombia, and other Latin American markets and plans for other regions throughout the world, the company said in a press release. So that's the end of the article. But that's not the end of my ire at this point at Jack. Why why did you give or are, are trying to give Ethereum any kind of use case? Plus the fact that it's really not usable, not with the gas fees. All right, this is the same this, I mean, the same argument that the Ether or Etherheads used to berate us in 2017 when Bitcoin had high fees on its network, now they're experiencing the same thing and there doesn't seem to be any abatement. The high fees on the Bitcoin network didn't, I, as far as I know, or if, well, what I remember is that they didn't last this long. This gas fee bullshit has been going on for what seems like forever, right? Okay, so why did Jack do this? I don't know. I'm not in the mind of Jack. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, in, in talks with him. I've never never spoken to him live in person or, or even in DMs on Twitter. So I can only surmise that what's going on is that Jack is trying to capture as much market share as he can using any tool set that he can, but I'm not happy about this shit. I mean, honestly, Ethereum, really, after being a, a, a Bitcoiner as hardcore as Jack Mallers has shown himself to be in the past, he defaults to Ethereum just so that he can capture the market share this doesn't bode well. I don't like it. And if he continues doing shit like this, it's going to be another Brian Armstrong. I, I, I don't know what else to say. I, I, I was saying yesterday that I was very hopeful that this wasn't the case, but it does indeed seem to be the case that Strike is using the Ethereum backend for transferring USDT around uh, users' wallets, and it's just absolutely sickening. Um, I don't know really what to say about it. Cause again, it's, it's one of these slay your hero type things. Jack, what the fuck are you thinking? Honestly, Jack Mallers, what in the fuck are you thinking? You need to stop doing shit like this, man. You, you really need to stop doing this shit. But news marches on Reuters. Hana Lang has this one a quarter of small businesses across nine countries plan to offer crypto payments, according to a Visa survey. <clears throat> Almost a quarter of small businesses in nine countries around the world plan to accept digital currencies as a form of payment in 2022, while 13% of consumers in those countries expect retail stores to begin offering crypto payments this year and beyond, according to a survey by Visa. 
The survey of 2,250 small business owners across nine countries, including the United States, Brazil, Singapore, and Canada, suggests cryptocurrencies may be starting to go mainstream as a means of payment. Visa also surveyed 1,000 adults in the United States, along with 500 adults from each of the nine countries. Quote, I think more people are feeling more confident with crypto, said Jenny Mundy, Visa's global head of merchant sales and acquisitions in an interview. Despite their rising popularity among retail and professional investors, cryptocurrencies are not widely used to pay for goods and services, in part because of their frequent fluctuations in value. On Monday, Bitcoin fell more than 5%, tumbling under the $40,000 level for the first time since September. Small businesses outside North America are more open to accepting digital currencies, including Bitcoin, as forms of payment. Visa found that more than 30% of small business merchants in the United Arab Emirates, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Brazil plan to offer customers the option to pay using crypto in the coming months. Digital currencies have taken off in each of those jurisdictions, despite varying regulations. In contrast, 19% of small businesses in the United States and just 8% in Canada expect to offer crypto as payment uh, in 2022. Almost three quarters of businesses surveyed worldwide reported that accepting new forms of payments is fundamental to their business growth. For many smaller companies that are moving into new forms of digital payments, adopting crypto may be a natural evolution, said Monday. They are asking, quote, what other forms of payment can we take and what other forms should we be considering, end quote, she said. The other countries in the survey include Germany, Ireland, and Russia. So there you go. Looks like it's looks like it's happening, but this could be a second false start to the whole quote unquote retail adoption of Bitcoin. We went through that as well as high fees on the Bitcoin network in 2017, 2018, and it started in 2016. It was a there was a real push to get businesses <clears throat> to start accepting Bitcoin as payment. And yes, the infrastructure was there at the time, as long as you were going to remain on chain. But all that shit was pretty much uh, squelched by false trading signals and uh, bot trading uh, on exchanges that caused a lot of bloat on the Bitcoin blockchain. And upon seeing that, a lot of retailers that were thinking at the time that, hey, this, this might actually be an answer shied away from it. Well, now we have the Lightning Network and it's much harder to bloat that thing than it is the Bitcoin blockchain because there's so much more capacity. But be that as it may, price fluctuations in comparison to the US dollar or other fiat currencies still give the perception that it varies wildly. Well, one Bitcoin has always been worth one Bitcoin. This is a this is a facet of human perception that I find rather fascinating. We are continuously comparing the hardest money, Bitcoin, to the world's shittiest monies. Their fiat, right? The U.S. dollar, the you know Iranian real, you you name it. The you know any manner of pesos in in Latin American countries, everything is fiat. Nothing is backed to anything real. The only thing, the only fiat that is backed to anything even remotely real is the U.S. dollar, and it's backed by the U.S. military with the threat of violence against well over 175 different countries. You don't accept the United States dollar? How about having a aircraft, the Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier sitting off your fucking coast? How, how, how's that sound? Really? You, you like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The U.S. dollar is the only thing that is even remotely real at this point, and I don't like what it's backed by. It's backed by the threat of violence. This is not what money should be. It should not be take it or die, transact in it, or we come and kill your leader and 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 start a color revolution in your country. That's not the way that that Americans actually think. That's the way the United States federal government thinks, and it's two completely different sets of people. One set of people are Americans and have American ideals. The other set are a bunch of batshit crazy narcissist sociopaths that all need to be lined up against a wall. Sorry, but that's the way it goes. Now, let's, let's move on. 
<clears throat> Real Bedford Football Club to secure its Bitcoin with Casa. Namcios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. Yes, we're talking about Peter McCormick. Uh, so if you're not a Peter McCormick fan, you may want to plug your ears. Real Bedford FC, the first football club to operate on a Bitcoin standard, will self-custody its BTC treasury with the help of Bitcoin security company Casa. The UK-based club was bought by Bitcoiner and the host of the What Bitcoin Did podcast, Peter McCormick, in December of 2021, with the goal to leverage Bitcoin to eventually become part of the elite of English football. Real Bedford currently competes in the Spartan South Midlands Football League, and McCormick believes Bitcoin can pave the club's way to the Premier League. Quote, with Real Bedford, I wanted to create a team for Bitcoiners everywhere, one on a Bitcoin standard, McCormick said in a statement sent to Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, in operating a Bitcoin treasury, it is important that the long-term security of our Bitcoin holding is protected as it is the lifeblood of our team. End quote. CASA offers... Bitcoin security solution to aid Bitcoiners in self-custody, enabling them to embark on a more robust multi-signature setup by acting as a backup provider. Other companies CASA has helped secure their Bitcoin include the Human Rights Foundation as well as Coin Center. Quote, Bitcoin is money that you can truly own. And self-custody is an essential part of moving on to a Bitcoin standard, Nick Neumann, CASA co-founder and CEO, said in a statement. Quote, Casa is thrilled to help Real Bedford protect their Bitcoin as they work to give the Bitcoin community a championship-level club. In November, Bitcoin user Colin MacArthur was a victim of a burglary attack in which the criminals were able to steal his hardware wallets, effectively gaining control over his Bitcoin holdings. MacArthur's Bitcoin was saved, however, thanks to a multi-sig arrangement he had with Casa. The user leveraged the company's services to rotate his multi-sig to a new set of hardware wallets and regain complete control over his Bitcoin. Yeah, so I like Casa, and I actually still like Peter. I, I know, you're, you know a, lot, a lot of people have lots of problems with Peter McCormick. I, however, honestly, I just, I just kind of don't. I mean, he's got a good show. I listen to it. Um, as, to, as to whether or not he's going to be a good leader for a football club, Hell, I don't know. I mean, he's not, I don't think he's going to be their coach. And hopefully he's not going to be like a Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys that basically just intervenes and interferes and tries to actually do stuff. I mean, Jerry Jones, after, you know, after the team that was, you know, consisting of Deion Sanders, Troy Aikman, um, and oh God, who else? There was a lot. Who's that short little guy, the running back? Ah, oh, I can't remember his name right now, which is sad because the dude is a Hall of Famer. Um, anyway, after that, he uh, some things happened, and Jerry Jones just he just got all up into the management of the football club, and for years the Dallas Cowboys was basically just a shit show. They seem to be coming back, but I, I maybe that's because Jerry Jones is getting old and doesn't really you know, do the same thing that he did 20 years ago. In either event, let's just hope that Peter McCormick just owns the club and sits back and lets the professionals do what they actually need to do. Now, <clears throat> this is a case for unions and Bitcoin. Yes, unions, the socialist clubs of the working, working class. I'm not actually all, you know, completely against unions, but the reason is because I think of the union, well, the history of unions in the United States. And when they first came up, when they first started being organized, it was kind of a good thing. There, there was a need for some kind of, you know, collective stance against people that were saying, I'm just going to pay you, you know, a pittance and you're going to work for me all goddamn day. And, and honestly, you're just always going to be poor. All right, so there was a there was a need for it, but it quickly became corrupt, i.e. the Teamsters. And if you don't know the history of the Teamsters, you should look into it because that organized crime was really given a boost out of the Teamsters union. So if you drove if you drove any kind of delivery truck in the United States and on the eastern seaboard, you were part of the Teamsters union. Uh, there was a lot more to that, but uh, they were starting to make illegal loans and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden unions just became a goddamn political shit show. 
So now I don't like unions, but I do have some respect for why they were started. Be that as it may, <clears throat> the ATU1555 Bitcoin fund has apparently pinned this one for Bitcoin magazine. I am part of a subset of a local union, ATU1555, based out of Oakland, California, proposing that our union allocate a percentage of our treasury and monthly union dues to Bitcoin. I wish I could take credit for the original ATU1555 Bitcoin idea, but I can't. After our 10th or probably more like 20th Bitcoin break room discussion, the former president of our local asked if I had ever considered how Bitcoin could be applied to the union. The answer to that question was no, I had not. In fact, I had never attended a, attended a union meeting prior to that point and had little interaction with or knowledge of what the union did other than represent members who were facing disciplinary actions. November 26, 2020 was the day the ATU1555 Bitcoin idea was birthed. The date I remember only because I was working a holiday, Thanksgiving, shift at the time and location that I haven't worked since. When the union and Bitcoin idea was originally raised, it went in one ear and out the other, not because it wasn't a great idea. I had come to the conclusion a couple of years prior that Bitcoin could and would empower anyone and anything. Still, between my never having stepped, stepped foot in our union hall and not being aware of any unions that were involved with Bitcoin, it didn't instantly dawn on me how our union could specifically benefit from it. Fast forward a few months later to February 8th, 2021, the day Tesla not only made history with its $1.5 billion Bitcoin buy and accept uh, announcement, or accept, I guess, for payment announcement, but also making Bitcoin headlines that day, as if the Tesla buy wasn't news enough, was Miami Mayor Francis Suarez's announcement that he was working on a resolution to add Bitcoin to the city's balance sheet. MicroStrategy, making their historic $250 million Bitcoin purchase in August 11, 2020, was a big deal to Bitcoin proponents such as myself, but for a household brand such as Tesla, uh, which has a 370-acre manufacturing and office space 10 miles away from our work report locations, to add Bitcoin to its balance sheet was a story anyone could resonate with. Tesla's Bitcoin purchase was a big deal for the world. Mayor Suarez's Bitcoin announcement was the icing to Tesla's Bitcoin buy cake, and it was now clear that it was time for me to revisit that fine idea from a few months back to see if it would be possible for our union to follow the lead set by MicroStrategy, Tesla, and maybe now even Miami by allocating a percentage of our treasury to Bitcoin. Regardless of if you are a diehard Bitcoin maximalist or a staunch union activist, chances are you've never considered how aligned unions are with Bitcoin's ethos. Only after months of research and consideration did I conclude that the alignment between unions and Bitcoin is so strong that I now contend that Bitcoin is code for many of the principles that unions stand for in theory. So unions are universal. Okay, well, unions represent and protect the interest of working people globally. Bitcoin is universal. Bitcoin is permissionless and borderless. Every second of every day, someone somewhere in the world is benefiting from Bitcoin's monetary properties. Unions are decentralized. Uh, I don't know about that one. Unions give workers a chance to sit at the decision-making table by employing various tactics that prevent employers from having a monopoly on governance. Bitcoin is decentralized. Oh, oh most definitely. Uh, <clears throat> through and through, Bitcoin is decentralized in ways that cannot be re replicated. Voluntary and often anonymous network participants are dispersed worldwide, making Bitcoin the most secure, distributed, and neutral network in the world. Unions are democratic. Union leadership elections, bylaw amendments, and motions follow the basic norm of one person, one vote. Bitcoin is democratic. Bitcoin's proof-of-work consensus mechanism and Bitcoin's governance are, at their core, a type of vote. Unions are freedom. Unions represent and protect the interest of working people by ensuring that workers are treated fairly with dignity and have recourse as free individuals with rights. The right to even form a union is a tenet of freedom. Bitcoin is freedom. There's no personal freedom without economic freedom, and Bitcoin economically empowers millions of people in ways inconceivable prior to Bitcoin. 
unions protect worker rights. Through striking, legislative reform, collective bargaining, and other tactics, unions protect the rights of working people. Bitcoin protects property rights. Bitcoin is permissionless money that is uncensorable and unconfiscatable in that third parties aren't necessary to order, to acquire, store, <clears throat> or transact in Bitcoin. Unions are targeted by adversarial managers, politicians, and employers who look to maintain a status quo that unfairly favors them. Bitcoin is targeted by adversarial media politicians and bankers who wish to maintain a status quo that unfairly favors them. Unions evolved due to a crisis. The unions that we know today, which represent all workers, were the result of the Great Depression. Before the Great Depression, unions predominantly represented skilled workers and openly discriminated against minorities. Bitcoin evolved due to a crisis as well. Bitcoin, the first successful implementation of cryptocurrency, which was first coined in 1998 by Wei Dai, was released on January 3rd, 2009 as a symptom of an alternative to a fragile, inequitable, and brutal financial system that came close to permanent insolvency during the financial crisis of two, uh, 2008. While it's nice that unions and Bitcoin share much in common, the real opportunity lies in the fact that if unions and Bitcoin community were to form a coalition, the magnitude of the impact this affiliation could have would only be comparable to the AFL-CIO coalition of the 1930s, which led to arguably the most significant reforms in the history of America, the New Deal. Though it is true that unions are not in full accordance with Bitcoin's ethos, let us not forget that there were power grabs, differences of philosophy, mistrust, and even bouts of violence between the AFL-CIO, communist, and socialist parties, but because these organizations were able to see the overlap in their objectives and align over core key points, they were able to accomplish things together that they likely would not have been able to achieve as individual organizations. Quote, with all their faults, trade unions have done more for humanity than any other organization of men that ever existed. They have done more for decency, for honesty, for education, for the betterment of the race, for the developing of characters in man than any other association of men, says Clarence Darrow, American lawyer and leading member of the American Civil Liberties Union. Unions arguably represent the people more so than any other institution that have been responsible for many of the things we take for granted granted today, such as the end of child labor, the weekend, 40-hour work week, eight-hour work day, unemployment benefits, worker compensation laws, employer-based health coverage. But as storied and consequential as unions may be, if you accept the premise that unions exist to not just protect worker rights, but to represent the interest of the working person, it becomes clear that unions could be doing a lot more to this end than they are currently doing. Union, union participation rates in the U.S. have declined from their peak of 35% in 1945 to 10% in 2020, while income, wealth, and opportunity gaps haven't been this inequitable since before the Great Depression. These realities suggest that working people, unions, and society as a whole would be better off if unions were more effective in the execution of their goals. If what Bitcoin has achieved in its 13 years of existence as an indicator, Bitcoin is unlikely to be going away anytime soon, and as was the case with corporations, banks, and now governments, sooner or later unions will have to recognize Bitcoin and consider how it could help further their agenda. <clears throat> so, Bitcoin, what is in it for the unions? Much of the strength of a union derives from its membership and union membership rates, in the U.S., and they are down from their peak of 35% in 1945 to 10% in 2020. For unions who align with Bitcoin, would be better position would would better position unions to appeal to younger generations, provide value to workers in new unique ways, adapt to current times and the environment, reinvent reinvent what it is to be in a union, and leverage technology all of which could considerably help unions decrease membership attrition. January 21st, 2020, famed investor Ray Dalio famously declared on CNBC that cash is trash, okay, because they are going to print more, end quote. 
Then, from March 2020 to March 2021, America's central bank proceeded to increase the total money supply by over 30%. As if that wasn't bad enough, the dollar has lost 85% of its value since 1971 and 96% of its value since 1913, according to the Federal Reserve U.S. Inflation Calculator. For a union to not hold all of its treasury in cash or cash equivalents by diversifying a percentage of its treasury into an alternative money and monetary system that has generated returns of over 200% annualized since inception is not risky in a world where the primary reserve currency is experiencing 6.8% consumer price inflation and houses are appreciating 20% in one year. Unions have depended largely upon collective bargaining strikes and legislative reform since the 19th century to incite change. Sorry, I almost said rage, although that's not far from the truth. Employers have been investing in technology designed to reduce the role of workers since the employee-employer dynamic began. With Bitcoin, unions now have an opportunity to be the benefactor of technological advances by adopting what may prove to be the most disruptive technology of our generation that would allow unions to proactively further their agenda of representing and protecting workers in ways that have never before been possible. While some may value fiat currency because it's backed by men with guns, as Nobel Prize winning author Paul Krugman would say, others prefer gold because it has intrinsic value in that it's used in bling and cell phones. Conversely, Bitcoiners covet Bitcoin because it is a neutral, uncensorable, unconfiscatable, permissionless money with superior inherent monetary properties such as portability, scarcity, recognizability, durability, and divisibility. Because of its unique qualities and monetary properties, Bitcoin has the potential to give humanity a type of economic freedom the world has never known. From the startup merchants in El Salvador who lack the payment systems to process digital transactions, to the Michael Saylors of the world who, due to inflation, are watching their company's billions melt away like an ice cube on a summer day, to the Venezuelas of the world who are being crushed by economic sanctions leading to more despair than your typical war. The potential Bitcoin has to positively impact humanity is far too great for unions to dismiss. Unions have an opportunity to ally with a purpose-aligned Bitcoin movement that could be a symbiotic relationship that would help unions regain their influence. By the Bitcoin community aligning with unions, politicians will have to consider the political fallout that would result from their supporting anti-Bitcoin legislation when a significant percentage of their constituents understands and has benefited from Bitcoin because of their indirect and direct association with the pro-Bitcoin union. Unions have a history of legislative lobbying, contributing to political campaigns and legislative reforms that dates back to the 19th century and have a proven track record of increasing voter turnout in political elections among not only members, but non-union workers as well. Since it's impossible to estimate the number of people and institutions who own multiple Bitcoin wallets, reports that Bitcoin inequality is worse than the wealth inequality of the United States as a whole uh, cannot be accepted as fact. However, part of Bitcoin's original promise was to be more equitable than the fiat dollar-based system that we have today, and Bitcoin could be doing better as it pertains to the concentration of Bitcoin in the hands of whales and non-decentralized institutions. While Bitcoiners understand that Bitcoin's equality properties lie predominantly in Bitcoin's hard, neutral, incorruptible level playing field qualities that will result in any Bitcoin standard system being far more equitable than the fiat system that we have today, it would still be a win for both Bitcoin and the world if Bitcoin were better distributed. Unions aligning with Bitcoin would be a driver of more diverse adoption increased awareness and understanding and adoption. I shudder a bit every time a union member asks me when, which Bitcoin in response to me asking their general thoughts on Bitcoin. The per percentage of people who still believe you have to buy a whole Bitcoin in order to purchase it, assume that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are synonymous or think of Bitcoin in the same way they think of stock is significant. Bitcoin has a market cap comparable to Tesla, Meta, and NVIDIA, yet people's understanding of what Tesla, Meta, and even NVIDIA does is significantly greater than people who understand Bitcoin, which is indicative 
of a major disconnect as it relates to people's knowledge about Bitcoin. The Bitcoin community aligning with unions would reduce this disconnect. Quote, a macro forecast that's easy to make, and that's the gap between the wealthiest and the poorest, will get closed. History always does it. It typically happens in one of three ways, either through revolution, higher taxes, or wars. And none of those are on my bucket list, says Paul Tudor Jones, billionaire hedge fund founder. As described in this article, both unions and Bitcoin have a once-in-every-century opportunity to grow bigger, better, and stronger by forming a coalition with an equally formidable movement that is in congruence with their core objectives. Unions and Bitcoin are too vital to the trajectory of humanity for this opportunity not to be explored. On January 12, 2022, ATU 1555 Bitcoin will vote on whether to allocate a percentage of our union treasury and monthly dues to Bitcoin. Regardless of whether the fund passes or not, <clears throat> ATU1555 Bitcoin has the building blocks for what will serve as a template that unions globally will be able to refer to in their attempts to align with the Bitcoin movement. The best time for unions and the Bitcoin community to form a coalition was yesterday, and the next best time is today. Unions and Bitcoin now, because the stakes don't get higher. Okay, so I... All right, unions is basically a fairly socialist movement. I'm not a socialist. However, the enemy of my friend is my friend, or the friend of my friend sometimes is my friend. What I'm getting at here is that I'm not going to try, you know, I would not actually, if I could, and I can't, so I don't even have to wor really worry about it, but I would not throw a, a wrench in the monkey works of allowing, you, you know, getting unions in to buy Bitcoin and keep it on their balance sheet for their uh, workers. Um, however, I'm not a fan of unions. But I'm also not a fan of employers just shitting all over their employees all the fucking time. But I'm also not a fan of employees putting the screws to the employers when they don't understand what's going on with revenue, how much it costs to run a business. There's, there's a lot of disconnect. There's a lot of disconnect between employers and employees. One of the ways that I think unions could be not made obsolete as much as not have to try to figure out how to have so many fucking teeth is if employers and employees had meetings together so that everybody could be on the same page of what does it cost to, to run this boat? How much does it cost for rent? How much does it cost to pay the phone bill? How much does it cost to pay your health insurance? and have it be truthful and transparent. And in that way, I think Bitcoin actually does fit. But that means an internal network of Bitcoining amongst the employers and the employees of a corporation or company or something like that. But be that as it may, again, is this good for Bitcoin if unions decide to start buying it and keep it on their balance sheet? Hell yes, it's good for Bitcoin. Does it empower unions to get even stronger than they may already be in some people's eyes? I don't know. But one thing I'm not going to do is tell unions that they shouldn't buy Bitcoin. Of course you should buy Bitcoin. Let's run the numbers. CNBC, Futures and Commodities, uh, we've got pretty much mostly stuff in the red today. Uh, West Texas Intermediate down a scant 0.05% to $82.60 a barrel. Uh, Brent North Sea is up a scant 0.08% to $84.72 a barrel. However, natural gas took it on the chin, erasing all of its gains and then some from yesterday, down 8.15% today to $4.46 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline unchanged, $2.39 a gallon. Your shiny metal rocks also taking it in the crotch. Gold down half a point to $1,818. Silver down 0.16%. Platinum down almost a full point. Copper down a half point and palladium down well over a point. 
Agricultural futures are somewhat mixed with only chocolate or cocoa to the upside at two and a half points. Rough rice up a half. Everything else is down and your biggest loser today is wheat at almost one solid point to the downside. Dow futures up 0.3%. S&P futures up 0.09%. NASDAQ is unchanged at the time. S&P mini is up three quarters of a point. Real money coming at you at $44,156. 272,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is 11,300 transactions performed every hour on the hour with 734,000 BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That's 30,600 BTC sent every hour on the hour with the average transaction value being 2.7 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.014 BTC or about 630 bucks and block times are horrendously low. Eight minutes and 14 seconds, 0.06 BTC taken in fees every block and 10.7 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hour period. With a 5.5% rise in hash rate, we are up to 188.6 exahashes per second, ladies and gentlemen. Holy smokes. Dogecoin recovery, and most of the shit coins are recovering as well. Dogecoin at 17.1 United States pennies. 7,196 transactions waiting on five blocks to clear in Clark Moody's mempool. Market capitalization of Bitcoin is $822 billion. That's 6.8% of gold's market cap, and you can, if you so wish, purchase 23.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,927,960.25. 3,331 and a half of those are locked up in the Lightning Network valued at $144.7 million with a total node count of 18,845 sporting 83,963 payment channels and 76.3% of all that shit's being run over Tor. That is a new all-time high for Tor Network uh, facilitating the Lightning Network. 2,542 BTC are being handled by Tor, over 11,780 nodes, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Tonga, to copy El Salvador's bill making Bitcoin legal tender, says former member of parliament, Cointelegraph's Joseph Hall tells us all about it and more. Another domino is lined up to fall down the route of Bitcoinization. On Wednesday, a former lawmaker of the Pacific Island nation of Tonga shared a play-by-play approach to adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. In a series of tweets, which I will never see, Lord Fushita, a former member of parliament for Tonga released an ETA for Bitcoin becoming legal tender in Tonga, copying El Salvador's playbook. The move could onboard more than 100,000 Tongans onto the Bitcoin network. In his five-point plan, the chairman of the Global Organization of Parliamentarians Against Corruption describes the adoption path. One, September through October, bill goes to parliament, passed. Two, sent to palace office for submission to his majesty for royal assent. Three, a month, maybe. Uh, his majesty, as advised by Privy Council, assents to bill. Four, two to three weeks gazetted by government activation date set. Five, on activation date, BTC becomes legal tender. In a follow-up comment, Fusita said the bill is modeled on and is most identical to the El Salvador bill. The announcement sowed the seeds for questions, predictions, and outright jubilation from Bitcoin Twitter before the Tongan set the record straight. He enthusiastically replied that the timeline for BTC becoming legal tender could happen as early as November or December this year, replying, boom, that's us, brother, in a tweet. In 2021, it was widely speculated that Tonga would become one of the next countries to adopt BTC as legal tender. Uh, Speculation reached a fever peak following a podcast Lord Fusita undertook with Bedford-based Bitcoiner Peter McCormick. 
During the conversation, the then Member of Parliament shared the remittance case for adopting BTC as legal tender. He said adoption would provoke, quote, a disposable income increase by 30%. With that extra 30%, some people are going to be saving it rather than putting it into the economy and stacking sats, end quote. Tonga is a remote island nation that relies upon remittances from countries including Australia, New Zealand, and the United States. The International Finance Corporation estimates that Tonga receives more income from remittances than any other country in the world, contributing up to 30% of household income. Furthermore, while the Tongan population numbers just six figures, the Tongan diaspora is vast. The International Organization for Migration estimates the Tongan population living abroad at 126,000 with up to 18,000 Tongans in Australia alone. The remittance use case was one of the primary drivers for El Salvador adopting BTC as legal tender. According to the World Bank, Tonga's remittance as a percentage of gross domestic product is substantially higher than El Salvador at 39% versus 24% respectively. Remittance aside, the Lord brought up domestic advantages for adopting an open source protocol. He agreed that Tonga would create a BTC circular economy and that it's one of the few instances in which being a sparsely populated small island kingdom archipelago is an advantage. When the island's internet infrastructure was brought into question, the Tongan claimed internet and smartphone penetration rates exceeded 90%. The World's Bank's most recent figures, albeit from five years ago in 2017, show Tonga at 50% internet penetration. Bringing the islands online may take some time, but Fusitua, Fusitua, I think is how you pronounce it, is adamant about his country's BTC future. In a tweet, Lord, the Lord says, an economy that uses Bitcoin for payment at every stage of the supply chain, from the seed to the table, pay for cassava roots and cattle in Bitcoin from the farming supplier all the way to the waitress serving it to you at Cardo's Steak Bar, and every step in between in BTC. There you go. So Tonga looks like it may come online, but you never know. However, again, I am adamant that I do not believe that Bitcoin should be forced as legal tender in any country. It should just be made legal. You have the ability to use it. If you're a merchant, you can take it if you want and you won't go to jail. If you are a, a, a purchaser, like a customer, a client, you can choose if you so choose. And if the retailer or service provider accepts it, use Bitcoin and not fear getting thrown in the slammer. I don't think it's a quality decision to force people to use Bitcoin. That's not the ethos of Bitcoin. It doesn't match. It's a, it's a complete mismatch. It's antithetical to what Bitcoin is. So please, moving forward, is there any way that we can say, if you want to use it, you can use it. And if you need to force somebody to use it, force yourselves. And what I mean by that is the government. If like, let's say it's, I don't know, uh, let's just take Costa Rica. Let's say Costa Rica decides that they want to make Bitcoin legal tender. I come in and say, no, don't make it legal tender. Simply write the law that says you cannot be held in contempt of court. You cannot be thrown into jail and you cannot be, well, you cannot be thrown into jail for using it. You cannot be thrown in, into jail for not telling people that you have it. And if you want to force somebody to use it, then you force your own government to accept it. Those are the only people that you should force a legal tender on is your own government. The citizenry of your country should remain free to use your own dollar, your own peso, your own real, if they want. If they want to use Bitcoin, they can choose to use that too. If I'm a customer and I go to a restaurant and I say, do you take Bitcoin? And they say, yes, then we're all good. If I'm a customer and I go to a store to buy clothes and I say, do you take Bitcoin? And they say, no, then 
I, as the customer, have to come up with another method of payment. Do not force me, do not force my store owners to use something that they either don't understand yet or don't want to use. It is completely against the ethos of Bitcoin. Please do remember that. Now, talking about <clears throat> some pretty uh, stiff governments, Iran, to allow crypto payments for international trade, as per a report, Helen Parts uh, lines it out for us on Cointelegraph. The Central Bank of Iran, or CBI, and the Ministry of Trade have reached an agreement to link the CBI's payment platform to a trade system allowing businesses to settle payments using cryptocurrencies, the Mayor News Agency reported on Monday. Uh, there's no way that I can pronounce it, so Mr. Pack, Iran's Deputy Minister of Industry, Mine and Trade, and Head of Iran's Trade Promotion Organization, or TPO, said that the new payment mechanism is expected to be finalized within the next Two weeks. <laughs> Remember Butterfly Labs? Quote, we are finalizing a mechanism for operations of the system. This should provide new opportunities for importers and exporters to use cryptocurrencies in their international deals, Mr. Pack reportedly said. He added that the government should not be ignoring the economic and business opportunities of the crypto industry, referring to major private cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. The Iranian government is reportedly preparing a mechanism to enable the use of cryptocurrencies in international trade. Quote, all economic actors can use these cryptocurrencies. The trader takes the ruble, the rupee, the dollar, or the euro, which he can use to obtain cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin which is a form of credit and can pass it on to the seller or importer. Since the cryptocurrency market is done on credit, our economic actors can easily use it and use it widely. I think there's some misconceptions there, but we'll just move on. The CBI did not immediately respond to Cointelegraph's request for comment. This article will be updated pending new information. Ah, the crypto industry has been associated with some extent of uncertainty as Iran's major blockchain organization expressed concerns about the enforcement of crypto regulations in late 2021. The Iranian government has also been regularly turning off electricity to local Bitcoin miners, citing temperature extremes. And that basically means that they need the electricity to go somewhere else, like IE, I guess, air conditioners, who knows. It's not like you guys haven't been living out there in that fucking hellhole for like, you know, centuries and been able to be just fine. Uh, whatever. Uh, moving on. Tom Farron has this one for Cointelegraph. Uh, United Kingdom Economic Affairs Committee unconvinced by prospect of retail CBDC. And let me pause. Uh, Tom, I think it's Tom Emmer out of the United States. And I can't remember if he's a, I think he's a representative. I want to say Ohio, but I'm probably very, very wrong. Anyway, it is Emmer, um, has introduced a bill into Congress prohibiting the Federal Reserve or basically the United States government in any way, shape, form, fashion, or any of its uh, constituencies like the Federal Reserve or Treasury to issue a CBDC. Excellent work, Tom. Thank you very much. Now let's go on to this one. The House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee an investigative governing body representing the economic interest of the United Kingdom has released an official report assessing the pertinence of a government-issued central bank digital currency titled Central Bank Digital Currencies, A Solution in Search of a Problem. The 52-page publication covers a litany of areas in relation to domestic CBDC endeavors and regularly cites the preliminary research task force established by Bank of England and His Her Majesty's Treasury in April 2020. Over 50 individuals, including finance, uh, financial experts, university professors from elite institutions, managing directors of large corporations, as well as entire organizations, consulted on the feasibility and nuances of a digital asset in written and oral formats at panel discussions, hearings, and online submissions in the months prior to its release. Andreessen Horowitz, of course, the Blockchain Association, and Crypto UK submitted written appraisals while Charlotte Hogg, CEO at Visa Europe, Andrew Bailey, governor at the Bank of England, Ripple and Standard Chartered Provider provided verbal accounts. The overwhelming conclusion of the report determined that there is no immediate need for the UK to strive for first mover advantage in the CBDC, sorry, CBDC space. 
arguing that a number of questions and challenges are still prominent, including geopolitical influences, Meta's vast user network, China's innovation in cybersecurity, and what could become a vulnerable single point of failure, among others. In addition, it was stated that improper planning and careless safety precautions could have far-reaching consequences and pose significant risks dependent that dependent on the asset's infrastructural design and intention of usage in the public domain. The 13-member committee chaired by Lord Forsyth of Drumlion concluded, quote, while a CBDC may provide some advantages on speed of settlement and cheaper and faster cross-border payments, it would present significant challenges for financial stability and the protection of privacy, end quote. Speaking on China, the committee noted the progressions to compete with the traditional economic infrastructure could erode the U.S. dollar's sanctions leverage, helping countries seeking to evade economic sanctions to bypass U.S. dollar-denominated systems such as SWIFT. It also raised concerns that this could have wider consequences in the European markets, specifically in terms of the strength and adoption of the British sterling and euro. Quote, the U.K. would derive most long-term benefit by ensuring global standards and rules of governance, privacy, security, and interoperability, and compatible with the national interest and values of the UK as well as its allies, end quote. The joint task force overseen by the Bank of England and Her Majesty's Treasury is expected to publish their findings later this year. Having previously stated that the digital pound could be minted into virtual circulation in the second half of this decade, the House of Lords Committee has stated that Parliament should have the opportunity to vote on any final decision following the results of the Joint Task Force and has issued a 10-point public questionnaire to further investigate the matter. So some pushback from within the UK on CBDCs, and this is a good thing. You do not want a CBDC. You do not want your local retail banking infrastructure to be eviscerated and have all of our accounts as citizenry handled by one single bank, i.e., or rather, a.k.a., one single point of failure. You don't want that. You really, really don't want that. You want backup after backup after backup. This is one of the reasons why I am not a bank hater. I am a central bank hater. I am a great big multinational conglomerate bank hater. But as far as your local, regional, federal credit unions, state credit unions, your small mom and pop banks, even if they have multiple branches and like, like literally, I, I bank at a bank that's got 150 branches. Sounds huge, right? Yeah, you're not going to find my bank outside of the confines of Texas. All right, so that's, that's a backup bank. That's a bank that supports other ba small banks. Small banking is what I want. Retail banking, I don't mind. Small commercial banking, I also don't mind. They facilitate a lot of shit. They get stuff done. It's the Bank of America. It's Wells Fargo. It's God only knows what else is out there, right? Like, you know, SoftBank. Well, SoftBank is an investment bank, but like huge investment banks as well. They're not exactly, the, they're not on my friends list. But if you do a CBDC, and have it all handled by the central or a central authority like the Federal Reserve, and now my bank account and my checking account is handled by the Federal Reserve, then you can eviscerate the entire wealth of a 100% of a of a country by hitting that one single point of failure. And if you don't think people would, wouldn't try to do that, you're fooling yourself. You're just fooling yourself. So Mark Cuman, uh, backed DeFi app Seashell promises up to 10% returns. And my question is, how the fuck is that not just straight up illegal in the eyes of the SEC? Well, John, or rather Jeff John Roberts has it for Decrypt.co. In an era where high yield savings accounts pay a paltry of half a percent or less, some people who put their money into decentralized finance products have been earning fat returns that can reach double digits but the reality is that popular DeFi platforms like Compound and Uniswap require a level of technical knowledge that is outside the average investor's comfort zone. That's a problem 
that a new app called Seashell is aiming to solve. Seashell claims it will let investors earn DeFi-style yields of up to 10% while providing an interface that resembles traditional banking and brokerage products. Seashell came out of stealth on Thursday, announcing it has raised $6 million in seed round from a list of blue chip backers, including Mark Cuban, Coinbase Ventures, Robinhood founder Vlad Tenev, former CFTC chairman Christopher Giancarlo, aka Crypto Dad, as well as the founders of Solana and Polygon. And it's just making me sick the more I read. In an interview with Decrypt, founder and CEO Daryl Hawk billed Seashell as an inflation-resistant savings tool, a description that is likely to appeal to savers who are facing eye-watering rises in the consumer price index, including a December figure of 7% inflation. Hawk described Seashell, whose name is inspired by early cultures that used shells as payment, as blockchain agnostic. We take the best of yields from across the board and make it easy. Oh, God, this is going to be so painful. Seashell is not the first crypto startup to offer DeFi-style returns to non-technical investors. Oh, God, it gets worse. BlockFi, founded in 2017, is plastered ads across the country promising returns as high as 9% on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies on an easy to use platform. But BlockFi has landed in a world of trouble with multiple state regulators accusing the company of violating securities laws, of course. Meanwhile, Coinbase announced it would offer a relatively modest 4% return on stable coins, but then backed down in response to pressure from guess who, the SEC. So how will Seashell avoid similar problems? The answer is that for now, the company will only make its savings products available to accredited investors. A legal term that the SEC defines as anyone who makes $200,000 or $300,000 with their spouse or has a joint net worth of $1 million. Yeah, according to Hawk, Seashell is playing a long game, perfecting its product and staying on the right side of regulators until the legal climate makes it easier to offer crypto products to everyday investors. Hawk adds that unlike Coinbase and BlockFi, Seashell's initial legal structure is set up to ensure it doesn't trip over securities laws. Yeah, bullshit. That setup involves creating funds that pay out interest in the form of dividends. So you, what, you can't cash it out? Whatever. Uh, Long-term plan also includes offering its services to merchants, letting them receive payments from Seashell users. This model has been highly successful for Block, formerly Square, which has created a two-sided business catering to both consumers as well as investors. Hawk says Seashell will be more appealing to businesses since it does not plan to charge any fees to use its services. Yeah, not yet. All of this sounds ambitious, especially for a startup in an extremely crowded crypto and payments market, but Seashell is nonetheless worth watching given its roster of influential investors, as well as its team. In addition to Hawk, who served as COO of blockchain security firm Certike, which I've never heard of, Seashell's founding team includes veterans of Google, Robinhood, Klarna, Snap, and NerdWallet, three of those I've never heard of. Seashell is currently accepting customers for its waitlist and expects to go live in the near future. If you have anything to do with Seashell, you're going to get fucking burned. I'm sorry, but you are. You Mark Cuban, as well as Brian Armstrong from Coinbase, the whole Robin Hood thing, and the fact that Christopher Giancarlo is in here is really disappointing to me. And then you've got Solana and Polygon. This is a who's who of shit coinery. And it's just going to get you burned. Be aware, guys. Be aware. And this whole 10% return shit, I don't care if you are an accredited investor. And that's a whole other point, right? The 10% returns, I don't know, man. Double-digit returns. That sounds an awful lot like a security. And unless they come out with a prospectus and register this thing with the SEC... I don't know. I, I don't know how they're not going to be hammered by the SEC itself. I think Coinbase and Mark Cuban and Vlad Tenev are just throwing money at a wall and seeing what sticks. I don't think that they're actually betting on this thing to actually work. Okay. Second of all, the accredited investor. Keeping you poor by defining legal terms since 1913. I'm telling you, man, the United States financial part of the government has done nothing, nothing for, for poor people. 
It says it has, oh, food stamps. Yeah, that just keeps you poor. Oh, Medicare. Yeah, that just keeps you poor. Oh, well, you can go get a job and get health insurance that way. Yeah, that just keeps you poor. It keeps you working for somebody else. See, all this is geared to keep you in, in a chute, much like cattle. It's easier to get you onto the trucks to lead you to the abattoir, or otherwise known as the kill floor, if you're put into a chute and single file line up to go into the truck to take you to said abattoir. Not, there's nothing about, every time I hear for accredited investors only, I automatically throw up a little bit in my mouth because this entire thing was supposed to be about empowering the common person. You know how many people are accredited investors in the United States, much less the rest of the world? About 1%. About 1%. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Let's end this Thursday off with a joke. What do you call a fat psychic? A fortune teller. Oh yeah, baby. That was a terrible one. Four chin, you know, four chins. Got double chin. What? Okay. Never mind. Don't worry about it. It'll be all right. I promise. It'll be all right. Got a small bump in Bitcoin price. That always makes me happy. Um, if you want to support the show again, I implore you. Your five-star reviews on Apple iTunes do absolute wonders. And streaming me Satoshi's from Podcasting 2.0 is not only going to help me, it's going to help you. Why? Value for value in streaming media is the future. And if you don't learn how to use it now, you're going to be behind the curve. You really want to know how the guts of this stuff works. So if you are still on Twitter, if you're, you know, I was about to say lucky enough, but I'm not sure if it's actual luck that you can still be on Twitter. Um, I've been taking a huge mental break from Twitter before I even try to go get a burner sim and, and get back in and we'll see how that goes when, when it happens. But be that as it may, if you are on Twitter, follow Adam Curry, Adam Curry, C-U-R-R-Y. He used to be uh, one of the very first VJs for MTV in the 80s when it first came out and has been in radio pretty much his entire life. And he is the father of podcasting and value for value or V4V or also known as podcasting 2.0 is his baby. And there's a lot more to it than just streaming me sats as I stream you these dulcet don'ts, right? Learn how to use podcasting 2.0. If you don't want to stream me sats, then stream Marty Bent sats or stream Matt O'Dell sats. Matt O'Dell has BitcoinTV.com. I'm I'm on there as well. I've got I've put up two of my shows. I'm going to put up this show as well. Um, even though it's audio and not really video based, I still want to start having a presence on Bitcoin TV because in the future. The plan is that Matt is going to put together a way that you can stream Satoshis to video create content creators on Bitcoin TV. And that's the way that you're going to get the content. It's going to be everywhere. And in the next five years, you're going to see an explosion of podcasting 2.0. So my best advice that I can ever give you is to learn how to use it now. And why not stream me sats? Learn how to learn how to do podcasting 2.0 by streaming me some Satoshis and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and and I'm your host David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.